Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. That's going to sound weird on the podcast. Galatians um, chapter number five. How many of you you like your coffee and or tea or anything like that? You like it like super hot, like like scald your mouth off hot, right? How many of you are temperature sissies? Okay, <laughs> when it comes to something like that, like if it's like if I have. There's nothing more nerve-wracking than taking a drink out of, especially like a McDonald's cup. Like that, that little hole that the coffee comes out of is the perfect size to just give you third-degree burns on the tip of your tongue, right? I'm burning my lips off. Yeah, well, <laughs> see, some people like their like they like their coffee so hot. Like I like when I make a pot of pure coffee. This is gonna make me sound like such a wimp. When I make a little pot of Keurig coffee at our house, I immediately go and get an ice cube and put it in there so that it like cools off. But I also like feel like I have to drink stuff super fast for some reason. So anyways, um, wow, for some reason I'm in First Peter 5. Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5 is where we're going to be. been in a series entitled One Another and um, started this a, a couple of weeks ago. But we've basically just been working through the different one another phrases of Scripture. And so today leads us to Galatians chapter number 5, where we will talk about serving one another. And so with that in mind, let's begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. What a powerful phrase. What a, what a um, terminology. Sometimes when you read through scripture, there's just phrases that stand out. This is one of them. He says, Christ has become of no effect to you. Why did he say that? Because they had elevated the law above Christ. He's writing this in response to this church uh, beginning to believe and listen to what the what was referred to in Scripture and kind of historically as the Judaizers. The Judaizers, the Judaizers did not deny Christ. They did not deny necessarily the gospel, but they would bring in the law alongside of the gospel, basically saying not only must you believe in Christ, but you also must continue to practice the law. And so he says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well, who did hinder you, that ye should not obey the truth. Ye did run well, who did hinder you. Sometimes we like to talk about the things of this world and not necessarily the people of this world. And when Paul is writing this, he says, you were doing good, but there was someone who messed you up. You did run well. Who did hinder you? And he says, this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. 
a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased? I would they were even cut off which trouble you. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to, to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Let's read verse number 13 out loud together. Uh, ready, begin. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. But by love serve one another. This is an interesting verse and an interesting question that I want to pose to you right at the beginning to kind of set this verse in context. What have you used your Christian liberty to do for someone else? What have you used your Christian liberty to do for someone else? With that in mind, let's pray and we'll ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for once again just the opportunity to be into your word, Lord, to be in your house, Lord, to be around other Christians, Lord, to uh, be challenged, to be encouraged, to be admonished. Lord, may we walk out of these doors different than when we walked in because of your word. There is nothing that Joel Norse can do to change people's lives, but I believe very strongly and very firmly that you can change the lives of people in this room, in this church, and in this world. And so may we use the liberty that we have in you not as an opportunity to serve ourselves, but as an opportunity to serve you. We ask all these things in your name we pray. Amen. The story is told of George Washington coming up upon, uh, upon a group of soldiers working, and they were working to rebuild the, a defense that had been broken down. And a man was seated on a horse and seemed to be yelling and, and uh, kind of admonishing them to use our word that we taught about last week, strongly encouraging them to continue to do the work but providing no help to them. And so without the man knowing who Mr. Washington was, he said, excuse me, sir, excuse me, soldier, why are you not helping your men? He said, well, because, sir, I am a corporal. And so Mr. Washington proceeded to get down off of his horse and helped the men build back the defense, okay? After finishing, he looked at the man and he said, the next time you feel as though you cannot help your own men, please call your commander-in-chief, General Washington, and let him know, and he will come and help you, for I am General Washington. It's a really great story. I know sometimes stories like that in history begin to develop their own folklore. Whether or not it happened, here's what I want you to see, is that you never reach a point in position or status where serving is above you. Where serving is something that you should not do. <coughs> To where serving is just not in your capacity. One of the most amazing statistics and kind of things that is coming out about the church recently, post-COVID, post-whatever we're in, I don't even know what we're in, post-apocalypse, all right? Okay. One of the most intriguing statistics that is coming out and stories that is beginning to develop is that serving and volunteers are on the decline, not just slowly, but rapidly quickly even in our own church we have been blessed with a great church we have been blessed with great people
But I can tell you this, being on the back side of things, it's difficult to get someone to walk, to <coughs> sweep up a floor. It's difficult to get someone to just do anything a little bit extra. It's difficult right now to find full-time staff people. It's difficult to find someone who is willing to serve. And many times the result of that is not because we're too busy. The, many times the result is not because we don't want to or because we haven't found our fit. We give some of those excuses. But ultimately a failure to serve is a failure in selfishness. A failure to serve is a failure in selfishness. We have become so consumed with us and our lives that we have found ways and excuses to never help someone else. And in this passage, Paul goes through a very interesting doctrinal thesis. He goes through some really deep theology in the first couple of verses. And it's interesting to me that when he comes to the conclusion, really in verse number 13 and down through the end of the chapter, he doesn't come to this conclusion of, well, you need to become stronger in your theology. You need to become stronger in your doctrine, or you need to understand Old Testament law better, or you need to understand what salvation looks like better. He comes to the conclusion that you have been given an opportunity to be liberated from your sin, and you will either use that liberty for yourself or for others. Sometimes we make the Christian life way more complex than it actually needs to be. We want to delve into all of these deep, dark secrets of the Word of God, and yet Christ has simply called us to serve. You don't need to understand end times to love your neighbor. You don't need to understand the beast and the, the mark of the beast and whether or not something is the mark of the beast and what color horse you're going to ride in the, in the last days. You don't need to understand that to know that the person beside you is hurting and needs the love of Christ shown through you. And so I want us to walk through this passage. I want to show you three quick thoughts in regards to serving one another. The first one is this, is that your position should point you to service. When I refer to your position, what I'm referring to is not your position in this world, but your position in Christ. If I walked up to you and I said, hey, what's your position? Most of you would immediately run to, well, I am the uh, janitor of whatever, okay? I am the street sweeper for Murfreesboro Parks and Rec. I am this, or I am a business owner, or I'm the CEO, or I'm a nurse at this place, or I'm a college student and I'm, I'm majoring in this. If I ask what your position is, you would probably identify with something here in this world. But the same way that you have a position in this world, you also have a position in Christ. Throughout scripture, there are actually I am statements for lack of a better term. There are statements about who you are in Christ. And the first six verses, we see that Paul begins to identify their position in Christ. He says, you're not here. He says, because you are so focused on the law, he says, you've made the cause of Christ of none effect. He goes on later in the chapter, and he says, you've made the cross of no offense. He says, you've, you've basically whitewashed this thing called the gospel. And one of the things that is so amazing to me about the Christian faith that we seem to overlook is that Christ does not call us to practice or do anything that he has not already done for us. When we talk about serving, we're not talking about serving a God or a creator of our religion who has never served. 
You look at some of the diverse religions and faiths of this world, and most of the time what they are asking you to do, they are asking you to do something that they have never exemplified in their own faith. Look at Islam. You look at Buddhism. You look at the Mormon faith. Most of the time they are, are asking something of their followers more than what they were even willing to invest. But yet as a Christian... When we talk about serving, we have a picture of our Savior kneeling down and washing the feet of his followers. We have moments in Scripture where he goes to the least of the people and serves them. We see him serving supper before his crucifixion. We see service throughout the life of Christ. And your position in Christ, who you are because of Christ's work in your life, should lead you to service. You are saved to serve. Christ was sent to seek and to save that which was lost. He was sent to do something for the least and the people who could not do it for themselves. And so first of all, your position should point you to service. But then notice secondly... Your persuasion will cause you to avoid service. Your persuasion will cause you to avoid service. Look at verse number 7. He says, You did run well. Who did hinder you? That you should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. He says, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. Meaning this. That if you can find something that is being a distraction to serving others, I can promise you this, that is not of God. That is not something that God has given you. If you just say, I, just, I cannot serve right now because I'm too busy, okay? I want you to look at this. What if Jesus Christ would have said that while he was here on this earth? He says that the persuasion, the things that are hindering you or the people that are hindering you from doing what I am calling you to do, what I have saved you to do, what I have exemplified, that is not of God. And so sometimes what we end up doing is we end up making excuses. And by the way, let me just say this. I do understand. I am not a, a Christian burnout, crack the whip, like, like serve until you die type person, okay? I do understand there are times in life to where you need to take a break, okay? But at the same time, what I'm talking about is a heart for service and a lifestyle of service. If you have been alive 25, 30 years and all you've ever done is give excuses for why you can't serve someone else rather than jumping in and serving someone else, then you've missed it. If you've never given out a track, if you've never been prompted to, to maybe buy someone's lunch or someone's supper, if you've never been prompted to encourage someone through prayer and send them an encouraging text, if you've never been prompted to maybe love on someone that is hurting, then you've missed the point. And serving is near to the heart of God, but watch this. So much of society dissuades and persuades us against serving someone other than ourselves, which leads us to our last thought, and that is this. Your passion will either be yourself or others. Your passion will either be yourself or others. Look at verse number 13. He says, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Can you imagine that we read these knowing a little bit of the way that Paul writes his letters, okay? But can you imagine being the church at Galatia 
and you're listening to this letter being read, okay? It's kind of like watching a movie for the first time or watching a, a football game or a basketball game or something for the first time, okay? You don't really know what's going to happen. But the third or fourth time you go back to watch that movie or if you've DVR'd a basketball game or you've DVR'd a football game, you kind of know what's going to happen. There's, no, there's nothing that really excites you anymore, right? But can you imagine sitting in the church of Galatia as someone stands up and begins to read this and, and uh, all of the people have gathered around and he reads through all this stuff about you don't need to follow the law. You've made, the, you've made Christ of none effect. You, you have caused an offense to the cross. You, and you're thinking, okay, well, sweet. Like, I didn't really enjoy obeying the law anyways. And then you get to verse number 13. He says, for brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Okay? We automatically... Sweet! Yes! Get to do whatever I want to do. Because of our kind of American viewpoint of liberty, we have misconstrued the liberty of Scripture. Liberty is not license. Liberty opens the door for you to do that which, was within, which is within the parameters of what you have been called to do. Meaning this. He says, you have been called unto liberty. Well, liberty means I get to do whatever I want. He immediately follows it with this. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. He says, don't take this and do what you want to do. Don't take this and serve yourself. Don't take liberty and just think, well, that means that I'm going to go and live my life however I want. If I don't have to follow Old Testament law anywhere, any, anymore, then I guess that means I get to go and see and look and do and live however I'd like. That's a misuse of liberty. Liberty is the freedom to operate within the parameters that have been given. If you have an animal, you have a dog, you have a, a cat, you have a, a child. Okay, not a, that's not an animal, all right? Okay, depends on the kid. Um, but you want them to operate within the parameters. If you've ever had a dog that's, that you've placed in the backyard, you give it a fence, don't you? You give it an underground fence sometimes. You give it a shock collar. And guess what? That dog is completely free. It has liberty within the parameters of the fence. But what happens as soon as it crosses? It begins to lose its liberty. Number one, if it's got a shot collar on, it's going to feel some pain. But if it jumps the fence and gets out of a fence long enough, what ends up happening to that dog? You begin to find solutions to restrain its liberty because it has been taken advantage of. Now all of a sudden you're putting it in a garage or you're putting it in a kennel or you're putting it in a run or, or you're buying one of those stakes that can go down into the ground and you, and you hook its collar to, to a rope. You're going to tie it up. Why? Because it has, it has abused the liberty that was given within the parameters and so now the liberty starts to get reeled back in. If you are using liberty to do, Christian liberty to do what you want to do, then guess what God's going to start to do? He's going to reel it back in. He's not going to allow one of his children for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. He's going to start to pull you back in because here's why. He wants you to see that the liberty that you've been given in Christ is a calling for you to love and serve one another. He says, but by love, serve one one another meaning this right now you have christian liberty and right now you are either using it for you 
or for someone else. You have either made the liberty that you've been given in Christ as a means to benefit your flesh and to live the way that you desire to live, or you have been given liberty in Christ as a means to which you can love and serve someone else. And I will be very frank with you when I say I don't think that we, as number one, Christians, number two, church members, but number three, young adults, think that way. We assume that the liberty that we've been given in Christ gives us an opportunity to live however we like. When the truth is, is that the liberty that you have been given in Christ gives you complete freedom so that you may do something for someone else. This past weekend, I already mentioned that my wife and I got the opportunity to teach a, a couples conference. And one of the things when I was talking to the pastor, I mean, I've, I've sat through a bunch of those, but I, I, I have never really prepared for one on my own, especially not uh, the amount of times that I, I spoke. And I just asked him, I said, what, like, what does your church family need? What do the couples need? Like, what do you need me to talk about? He said, I really want you to talk about that they as a couple are called to serve. And you want to know one of the things that I am diagnosing, like, right now and I and I guess seeing a lot of is that if you approach single people which I'm not the type of some of you some of you know this about me if you've been in this class for any time at all I'm not someone who's going to be like hey you like I see you you're not hiding from me I'm going to come and ask you to serve like I'm going to, like I don't care if you hate two-year-olds you are in the two-year-old class like I'm not that type of person okay I want the Holy Spirit to do that job because he can do it better than I ever can but one of the things that I'm finding a lot right now is that as single adults, we give these excuses of why we can't serve. Well, I'm single, and like, I don't, I don't know, I'm just not comfortable with that age, or I'm busy, or I'm tired, all right, or, or whatever. So we give all this list of excuses, okay? And then on the other side of marriage, there's another list of excuses. Well, like, I got married, so we're, like, we don't, like, we don't really want to serve together anywhere, and like, she likes, she likes little kids, and I hate little kids. Like, my wife's taught what class did you teach a couple months ago? And you were like, come help me. I was, four, I was a four-year-old. And I was like, yeah, this is not my calling. Like, I, I love my four-year-old, but I don't love everybody else's four-year-old, right? <laughs> and so sometimes we give all these excuses as a single adult, and then we get married, and then the excuses are kind of just skewed a little bit. Like, well, now I'm married, and like, I thought I was busy as a single person, and now I'm busier as a married person. And then I was like, we're kind of thinking about having kids, and and like, I thought I was tired as a single person, and now I'm even more tired as a married person. And we're just giving all of these excuses, and here's what I think that we're doing. While I don't think if I look across the room that any of you have used your Christian liberty to just go out and sow your wild oats and live life however, okay? I don't think that that accusation is honest and accurate for this room. However, here's what I will say is that sometimes we use just the day-to-day -day life as an excuse for why we can't rather than finding ways that we can in our day-to-day -day life. Meaning this, service is not always something that comes with this big trophy, okay? Service is not always something that comes with a super clear job description. Like sometimes we have people that want to serve and they're rolling in and it's like, Dude, I don't have a checklist for you. Like, just figure it out. Like, uh, figure it out the way that I had to figure it out, I guess. I wish we did. 
but you can serve people in ways that you don't need to have this huge amount of recognition. Every single time that you are kind and friendly to the person who takes your order at a store, I believe you serve them a little bit better than maybe the person who's coming behind you is going to be a jerk to them. Every time that you maybe show deference or preference to someone who is older than you or, or you take a shopping cart at, uh, from someone at, at Publix or whatever, okay? Just this past week, we got an opportunity to go and set up uh, donuts and coffee at MTSU. We saw Kindred there. Saw Emma there. Emma's over there, okay? We ran out of coffee. We were supposed to be there, I think, from like 10, 10.30 to 2 o'clock, okay? We were right in the student union. We had so many people walk by, we actually ran out of coffee and donuts like an hour and a half before we were supposed to be gone. But it was cool to see the looks on people's faces. I actually, so like, I'm not someone who does a super great job of like just sitting still and like waiting on something to happen. And so like, I, like we sat there for a little while and I was hoping that the little sign that says free coffee and donuts would just make people fall to their knees and say, sir, what must I do to be saved? But it didn't work like that, all right? <laughs> And so, anyways, I was sitting there, and it's like a couple people would walk by, and they kind of like take a glance at the sign, like, oh, free coffee notes, that's interesting. And like, I saw enough people walk by, I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. Like, like we're going to start like yelling at people. So as soon as someone would walk in the suit, you know, I'd be like, hey, there's free coffee and donuts. You want free coffee or you want free donuts or whatever? And I literally remember this one guy, he was walking by, and like, it's midterm swing, so everybody's kind of like booking it. And so he walks by, and he like kind of looks at the sign, and then he comes back by, and I said, hey, man, you want a free coffee or free donut? And he just looks at me, like he stops, and he makes this face like, and he goes, why is it free? And I, <laughs> and I said, and I said, oh, it's because I'm going to trick you into getting a credit card that's going to have 36% interest. And he goes, are you serious? And I'm like, no, I'm just working for a church. I said, it's just, I said, it's, a, it's literally a free coffee, free donut, no strings attached. And here's an invitation to our Bible study. And he's like, cool. Yeah, I'll get that. Like, <laughs> So he walks over and I was like, take two. He goes, are you serious? Like, take two? And it was, it was great to see people. Then like Laura and I, we walked out and like, sometimes you feel super successful when you're on campus. And sometimes you're kind of like, we talked to 200 people and we might as well have just said, right? <laughs> but what I told her, I said, I don't know that that's going to reap any, like, I would like to think that we could show up on Thursday night at Collegians for Christ and all 200 people that took a donut would show up and they would once again just say, sir, what must I do to be saved? But I can tell you one thing. We talked to a lot of people that were unsaved. Did they know that we loved them? I got an opportunity. There was one girl, like, we asked what her major was, if she had any tests. And she was like, you could just see this look of, like, oh. And, I, she, and I, she, she said, I don't even remember what her major was. But I literally thought, I don't even know what that means. Like, I, like I, I'm, I pity you because I don't know, like, is it hard or is it, like, maybe it's easy. Maybe that's why you picked it. But I remember I, we both said, like, you have a test day? She's like, yes, I got a test day. She's like, I'm so, like, worried about it, nervous about it. Like, I'm just stressed about it. And I said, well, we're going we're gonna to pray for you. We're going to pray that you do good. And she looks at us. She's like, are you you're serious? You're gonna pray? I said, yeah. I said, we're going to pray that you do well. I said, that's the whole reason why we're here, just to be a little pick-me-up through the week. And it's amazing to me to see the way that people respond when we're willing to serve. You are not responsible you are not responsible for their, uh, the effectiveness of your service. You're only responsible for the faithfulness of your service. 
Sometimes we think, well, if it's not effective, why am I going to do it? Or if it's not something that gets me noticed, why am I going to do it? I wish that every time someone picked up a piece of trash around property that trumpets rang and played out really well because, oh, this person's such a servant. But that's not the way that it works. Service sometimes is unknown. Service sometimes is unclear. Service sometimes doesn't have a position. But here's what I know is that service is something that Jesus Christ first and foremost did for us. And secondly, it is something that opens the door for people to see that someone does love them so that you can begin to show them the love of Christ. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. Ask the Lord to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us. Thank you for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful that as I stand up and teach about service, it is not something that was first and foremost already exemplified in your life. And so I ask you to help this room to become a room full of servants for you or for those around them, for the lost, for the hurting, that we may serve and love others the way that you have loved and served us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to run to my next game. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.